This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! It's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Hello, Dollar. This is Carter down at Tri-State Insurance. Yeah, I've heard of it. How are you, Bill? Fair. Listen, we have a vice president down here who has an idiot cousin selling insurance for us in New York City. Well, he's done it again. You call me for advice or sympathy? He just sold a $15,000 policy covering a pair of antique pistols for the trip from here to a buyer in Boston. Well, some of those old weapons are worth it. Well, these must be. That's why I want you to see that they get there. According to this Leonard Bonney, who brought the pistols this far from England, somebody tried twice to steal them. That we learned after he bought the policy. Will you take the job? Okay, Bill. And uh, when can I talk to this Bonney? He's at the doctor's, but he'll be back in my office in an hour. Doctor's? Yeah. The last time the thugs jumped him, they put a knife through his arm. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Tri-State Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, William Carter. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment on the Queen Anne pistol matter. Expense account item one, $1.75 cab fare for my apartment to your office, where I was introduced to Leonard Bonney, a tallish, badly proportioned man whose pasty complexion was just a shade darker than the sling that supported his left arm. Well, it's a pleasure, Mr. Dollar, a pleasure. Thanks. You, uh, you've had a pretty rough go of it. That's right. And it's the truth that I'm glad to see somebody else taking the responsibility. You, uh, might tell Mr. Dollar about these attacks on you. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to, Mr. Carter. The first time was in Liverpool before I boarded ship to come across. They came out from between two buildings near the wharf. Three of them. They handed me a whack on the bean, and that's the truth. And before they could lay another hand on me, I raced off. Did you have the pistols with you? Oh, no. And I didn't have them in New York when another gang attacked me. They almost killed me with that knife. The pistols are here, Dollar. Would you like to see them? Yeah, I would. Here, here, I'll open the case. The box he opened was leather-bound and satin-lined. Two pistols nestled in it. Graceful flintlocks with ten-inch forged barrels upon which were engraved a coronet and a name so faint that I couldn't make it out. They're from the 18th century. They're worth 10,000 pounds as a collector's item. Where do they go? Oh, to an antique gun shop at 272 Medford Street in Boston. The proprietor's name is Arthur Worthing. He's a British chap. He wears spectacles. You'll recognize him. Will you be coming with me? Me? <laughs> I don't think no. I've had enough. I'll stay here and wait word for Mr. Carter that the pistols have got their safe. Oh, no. I've had enough. Oh, no. 
address of the rundown was given to me before I left the office. Leonard Bonney had been hired as a messenger by the seller in London, who had explained the value of the guns, but had not mentioned any potential danger of attempted theft. With that information and the pistol case tucked into a corner of my luggage, I made arrangements to leave. Expense account item two, $9.75 airfare and incidental expenses between Hartford and Boston. The address on Medford Street that Bonnie had given to me was on the fringe of the retail district. There was a sign, and there were a few dusty weapons in the window. Good day, sir. Hello. Are you Arthur Worthing? Uh, yes, yes, I am. My name's Dollar. I've been hired by the tribe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Bonnie telegraphed me to expect you. The package, sir. I see you have the package. Yeah, I have it. Uh, this is a day I have long anticipated, sir. There. Uh, Ah, there. Two masterpieces from the shop of James Freeman Norwich, circa 1705. Sir, are you a fancier of arms? Nothing antique. Oh, that's a pity, sir, a pity. Fascinating study. These pistols have quite a remarkable history. Fashioned during Queen Anne's reign and gave service during one of Europe's blackest eras. Yeah, they're pretty. But I like mine with less history and more shocking power. As might be supposed, sir, the English gunsmiths prospered during those stirring times, profiting by the constant demands for muskets and pistols to supply the good Queen's armies in Flanders. Ah, is that right? Well, I have a paper for you to These sign. weapons, sir, rode through the campaigns at the belt of an officer raised near Norwich. And if the truth were known, sir, more than one murder has been committed not only by them, but because of them. Uh, tell me, sir, were you followed? Not that I know. Uh, if I could get your signature on this release, I... Oh, can... just a moment, young man. I, I believe that the assurance policy purchased by Mr. Bonney is in effect until the pistols rest in the possession of the purchaser. Is that not correct? You're not the buyer? <laughs> well, unfortunately, sir, a price of $20,000 is a great deal too dear for me. Well, who is it then and where? A Mr. and Mrs. Jack Rollins Bride. Bride. Okay. Address? Uh, yeah, yes, I'll jot it down for you. Just a moment. Uh, oh, eight Victoria Drive. Yeah, there you are. The large rest on the left flank as you approach it from the east. I think I can find it. Now give the pistols bride and tell them that either Mr. Bonney or myself will contact them at the earliest opportunity. All right, I'll get back to you by phone. Sir? I have a package to deliver to either Mr. or Mrs. Bride. Are they at home? Uh, yes, sir. I'll take it to them. Well, my instructions are to give it to them personally. Who is it, Dean? A gentleman with a parcel for you, madam. A parcel? My name is Dollar. Are you Mrs. Bride? Yes. Well, here are your pistols for Mr. Worthing. Well, come in. Mr. Worthing, I don't understand. Well, maybe your husband knows about it. Yes, perhaps that. Oh! Oh, no! Madam! What's the matter? <laughs> You can't. What's the matter, Mrs. Bride? Well, oh, heavens of hell, what's the trouble? Who is this man? What's he... Oh. Uh, take Mrs. Bride to her room, Dean. No, Jack. I want to know. What does it mean, Jack? What does it mean? Be quiet, Estelle. I'll take care of this. Uh, come along, Mrs. Bride. I'll help you to your room and get you a bromide. Now, 
What do you want? No, I don't want anything but your signature on this paper. Acknowledging your receipt of the pistols described therein. You'll get no signature from me. Here, let me see that. Hey, watch it, will you? Leonard Bonney. He's here in America. That's what he said his name was. I brought the pistols from Hartford to a man named Arthur Worthing. He sent me to you. Who's Arthur Worthing? I took it that you knew one another. He's a dealer in antique weapons. Yes, of course. Get out of here. Take this fake form and take your pistols. Go back to your Mr. Worthing. Your bluff won't work. Now, listen to me. I don't believe that Bonnie is here. I don't think he's still alive. Now, get out of here. I didn't bother to argue with him because as far as I could see then, he was either terrified, crazy, or both. With the pistols, I took the shortest route back to Arthur Worthing's gun shop on Medford Street. I should have saved myself the anger I'd built up to let go at Worthing. The place was not only locked, it was empty of antique weapons. And Arthur Worthing's sign had been replaced in the window by another which read, Office or Store for Rent, Inquire Number 13 Groves Building. I decided not to. Expense account item three, 70 cents, day letter to Tri-State reporting my lack of progress. And expense account item four, same as item two, transportation back to Hartford. My phone was ringing when I unlocked the door of my apartment at 10 that night. Johnny Dollar. Bill Carter, Johnny. Did I interrupt something? Yeah, I just got in. Just came through the door. That's crazy business in Boston. What do you make of it? Well, the man called it blackmail, so I guess that's what it is. But what reason there was for using me, I don't get. Unless they figured Bride would get violent. I've been trying to reach that Bonnie. She left a phone number. Huh. What'd you get, the city pound? No, some woman with an accent so thick we can't understand each other. Oh, forget it. Bonnie just made it up. He was lying on his teeth about everything. Do you have the pistols? Yeah, but not for long. I'm bringing them down to your vault in the morning. Good. Stop by my office. Uh, aren't you curious about this thing? No, not even intrigued. I don't want any part of it. That was only half true. I didn't want any part of it, but I was intrigued. Later, after a shower and over a highball, I took the pistols out of their case and looked them over. Except for the possibility that they were the tools of blackmail, I could find nothing to make them worth $20,000. But under a strong light, I did make out the name engraved on the barrel that I hadn't been able to read before. It was Bride, as in Mr. and Mrs. Jack Rowland's Bride. And the date behind it was 1704. I wondered what there was about something out of the 18th century that could send a 20th century woman into hysterics. The next day, I saw the pistols put under lock and key, started to work on another case, and try to forget the whole thing. But I was reminded of it again by the caller who was waiting for me in the corridor outside my apartment that night, the bride's butler. I hope you'll pardon my intrusion, sir. You must know why I've come. Well, I can guess. I shan't take up much of your time. But if I could just talk to you... All right, we'll go inside. Oh, thank you, sir. Sit down. Now, stand, sir. Could you possibly give me the pistols, Mr. Dollar? No. But why not, sir? Well, the main reason is I don't have them. Bride didn't seem to want them when I tried to give them to him. Oh, but he did, sir. If Paul was putting his signature on the form which described them, it would have become an admission that he had received them. What's he afraid of? I couldn't say, sir. 
He told me that he wouldn't be able to answer for the consequences if I failed to bring them back. What does that mean? Mr. Bride is a very violent and sudden man. Look, I'm through with the case. I turned the guns back to the company that insured them, and he can get them by going down there and signing that release. I beg of you, sir, get them tomorrow morning and give them to me. I can't. Possibly because they aren't there. <laughs> it felt like a bee stick. Then I got a look at the vial in his hand and the needle. His expressionless face watching me became diffused and was streaked with flashes of red. I tried to reach for the face, but it swirled away and out of sight. I took one stumbling step after it. That was the best I could do. turn you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. But first, we Americans have a valuable heritage, a heritage of individual freedom that includes the freedom to worship as we wish at the church or synagogue of our own choice. By attending church regularly, we can gain the moral and spiritual strength to meet the many problems which confront us today. Help support your church and attend regularly with your family. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Drink some of this. I uh, I looked for some tea, but I couldn't find any. I'm I'm not too handy at making coffee. Uh, yeah, is that hot enough? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, now, what happened to you? I don't know. Dope. He jabbed me in the arm. Who was he? Bride. Oh, come on, leave me alone, will you? Oh no, you don't. Now, I've had enough of this. You stay awake. Come on now. treatment went on for another 45 minutes. That and the coffee. From the bed, I could see that my apartment had been torn to pieces. I was too sick to be angry about it. And when I could sit up and put my feet on the floor, I realized without surprise that Bonnie's arm was no longer in a sling. In fact, there was a Webley automatic in his hand. Oh, that. Well, the surgeon said I wouldn't need the sling anymore. Oh, you are a lying... Now, stand up now. Come on. Did he get those pistols? Who? Bride. Whoever it was tore up your flat looking for them. No, he didn't get them. And you aren't going to get them either. Oh, yeah, now. You've got a net on your shoulders. You use it. Where are they? You'll have to do more than wave that automatic around to get them. 
They're in a vault downtown. How do you want to share for yourself? Look, it was your idea to insure those things. The bride wouldn't receive them, and the company wants to protect them until he does. You must have known that. Why did you insure them? Well, it was Worthing's plan. I told him it was too tricky. We're in a fine mess now. I've got to take you to him. Why? I can't do anything. Don't you ask so many questions. You just come along. He gun-muzzled me out of my apartment and into a car. If I'd been in better shape, I might have been able to break away from him. But with my system still full of dope, I didn't have either the will or the energy for a try. I only half remember the trip, but the end of it was a shabby hotel within earshot of the harbor in Boston. Bonnie, I've brought Mr. Duller. Uh, capital, Bonnie, capital, come in. Hey, you're white as a ghost, Mr. Duller. Are you ill? Yeah, and you don't help. They, uh, they put a needle into him trying to get the pistol. Oh, what a pity, what a pity. Sit down, sir, sit down, please, by all means. Uh, did they get him? Well, he says no, and if he's telling the truth, we're in a mess. In a mess, Bonnie? He says the pistols are locked up at the insurance company in Hartford. Well, now, is that the truth? I don't see why that should be hard to believe. Now, what do you say to that? I told you it wouldn't work. You and your complicated plans. Now we've lost the old thing. Nonsense, Bunny, nonsense. Why, actually, the pistols are of no consequence whatsoever. Well, they were important right enough in London when we first we talked about coming here with them. Of course they were, Bunny, but now they've served their purpose. The brides have seen them. You have spoken to them on the phone. It only remains for you to collect the money. The end of the past, Bunny. Well, I think we need them. Well, Mr. Dollar... It suddenly occurs to me that I have spilled the beans, as you yanks so quaintly put it. I've told you the truth. I don't want to know the truth. Why don't you keep quiet, Worthing? That's a good idea. Until I get out of here anyway. Bunny, stop him. Look, I have no place in this. Just leave me alone. Bunny, stop him. Or everything is lost. All right, me bucko. Come on back. Get away from me. Come on. You don't feel so good. I hate to make you feel... Well... That's right now. Back in the chair. What do you want? You want me to know what's going on? I do. Blackmail. Yes, of the grossest sort, sir. We shall be handsomely paid by the bribes to keep secret a two-year-old murder of which they are guilty. I don't care. Why don't you keep quiet, Worthy? Well, Mr. Dollar. If you expect me to be surprised, I'll have to disappoint you. What else could it be? But why were you stupid enough to think that he'd sign that release? Yes, I shall have to admit that my sights were too high. But a signed admission, it was such a devilishly clever scheme, I was forced to have a try at it. And why keep me involved in it? Because you are a witness, so to speak. Now, be patient, sir. After being dragged into the lives of people I don't know and don't want to know, after being drugged and knocked around by your gunman? Enough of that. And now, Bunny, the hour to strike has come. I will meet the brides. Here. Oh, by the way, let me have your Webley. Well, what about me? You, at the same time, will be at the bride residence waiting for them to return and make the initial payment of our $20,000. The contest is won, Bunny. Oh, I hope you're right, Worthing. It's been a long one. Yes, it has. A splendid quest. He made a phone call to the brides and Bonnie left. Worthing concentrated on the Webley automatic while we waited, and I concentrated on my head. By the time the brides arrived an hour later, 
I was almost able to stand without staggering. Well, 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 well. Mr. and Mrs. Bright, late of Norwich. Our paths at last cross. Please come in, come in. I am Arthur Worthing. You don't know me, but I assure you that you will. Oh, you remember Mr. Dollar? Yes. We should hardly forget him. Yeah, you're not alone there. I'm afraid I have most distressing news for you, Mr. and Mrs. Bride. I shall be unable to make deliveries since Mr. Dollar has gained possession of the pistols and steadfastly refuses to part with them. He is a veritable thorn in my side. Do you expect sympathy from us, Mr. Worthing? Well, indeed, I expect nothing of the sort. No more than your uncle, the Duke of Pembroke, would have expected from you had he known your true thoughts before you had him murdered. Are you lecturing, Worthing? You're planning to profit from the same death. Yes, quite a profitable death to everyone but the poor Duke. The estate fortune to the brides and to the others of us who nibble at the edges, a small share. Even you, Mr. Dollar, earned a penny or two. Cut this short, will you? It's a little too thick for me. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Bride, you both understand the terms that Leonard Barney and I have decided upon. We, in turn, agree to maintain complete silence in regard to your part in the murder of the Duke of Pembroke between 6 and 7 p.m., 8 October 1948, at which time, according to knowledge shared by us, a killer hired by yourselves did shoot said Duke to death. Well, how can we be sure if, as you tell us, Dollar refuses to give up the pistols? Mr. Dollar? Leave me out of this. Hmm. An unfortunate situation, but one of minor importance. The theft of the pistols has become, according to your plans, the generally accepted motive for the murder, in view of their extreme value, and since they did indeed disappear. But who? Who would correlate them to the true story? Oh, Jack, we could never be sure. Quiet as still. My word will be kept. But, Bonnie, I readily admit I do not know. The proof of your guilt lies with him, and he may decide that he needs more money one day. But the negotiation's at hand. The cost to you, $20,000. $5,000 to be paid tonight to Bonnie, who now awaits you at your residence. The rest within the next seven days. Oh, I don't see how it's going to be possible. Oh, come now. Surely, rather than sacrifice the gracious life the Duke's fortune is affording you... I don't know. The time is so short. We'll manage it still. There must be a way. We have the 5000 Bonnie will be waiting for but you. Now Mr. Dollar has heard the story. What good is buying your silence when first he knows, and then someone else knows, and someone else... I... Still, in heaven's name, Bride, do you want the police to descend upon us? Then we all would be lost. All but Leonard Bonney. I'm going to the police. I want them to know. Stop it, Estelle. Take her now and go meet Bonnie. Come along, Estelle. We'll go home. Convince her, Bride, that there is no reason to fear Dollar's knowledge. I have my own plans for him. Worthing's success made him careless. Calling his orders to the Bride, he was a quarter turn away from me. As soon as the door closed, I moved. As far as I was concerned, it was a toss-up between being a good citizen and phoning the police or using my head and leaving. I decided on a compromise, an anonymous report. I leaned over him to double-check his name and started through his pocket. His inside coat pocket gave me a week-old receipt for the weapons with which he dressed up his phony gun shop. His wallet held some money, but no identification. I patted his side coat pockets. They were cluttered with the usual men's debris and nothing else. But I patted the empty pockets again, and down at the bottom of the right one, I felt a thin, rectangular object. It was inside the coat lining. I got my fingers into the theme and ripped. The object was a card set into a plate of transparent plastic. 
It said, Arthur T. Worthing, Inspector, CID, Scotland Yard. Oh, the devil. Hey. Hey, Inspector Worthing. Uh, what? Uh, oh. I, I, I say, that, 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 that was rather... Here, here, try some of this. Thank you. Well, I, I must say that you're an extraordinary ally, Mr. Dollar. It would help, you know, if your allies knew they were allies instead of pigeons. Do you want to try and get up? Uh, not yet, I think. A vicious pummeling. But more about that later. Suffice it to say that I've been posing as a blackmailer for so long that I scarcely know what I am myself. I couldn't shed my disguise in front of you until the final details were arranged. What is this approach of yours? Approach, sir. Oh, this crazy scheme. Here, come on. Take my hand. Oh, thank you. Not crazy, sir. Intricate, perhaps, but I did obtain a confession, didn't I? With you as a witness. During the investigation in England, no effort was enough to swerve the brides from their story of their murder. I had to turn criminal to meet them on a common level and gain the truth. And uh, did you have in mind stopping the brides before they commit another murder or after? Well, that's an odd question, sir. Oh, no, not since this is making sense. Not since you baited Bride with the idea that Bonnie was the only one that could prove them guilty of murder. Impeccable truth, Mr. Dollar, since it was Bonnie they hired to commit their crime. If the Brides were apprehended at the scene immediately after they had murdered that miserable little cutthroat nun at Bonnie, well, then, they'd be hard-pressed to find a valid reason for not confessing to the original murder of the Duke, would they not now? I think you softened the wife up to the point where she'd spill. Yes, by Jove, I believe you've hit the nail squarely on the head. We'll phone the police to go there. I think you hit the same nail on the head when you palled up with Bonnie and talked him into coming over here with blackmail in mind. Yes, yes, you're right. This has been a personal matter. The Duke of Pembroke was my friend. As I said, nothing could be done in England, so here I am. Unofficially, of course. I suggest now that I phone the police, don't you? <laughs> Driver, keep it. Uh, thank you, sir. Good night, you. Good night, young man. Well, no sign of the police, Dollar. They'll arrive quietly. We'd better get up to the house. We dropped our cab a few yards down from the bride address. When we got there, we took the driveway. There was a light in a room I spotted the last time I was there, a library. We angled off toward it, but before we reached it, a look I tossed over my shoulder stopped me. Behind us in the street, I could see a swarm of uniformed figures slipping silently toward us. They were close, but not close enough. got what he wanted, the murder of the gunman Bonnie and the arrest of the brides. Justice is supposed to move in straight, formal lines. When that kind misfires, I guess it's cricket to go devious. 
He brought a victim as well as a motive clear across the Atlantic to set up the playoff scene. Expense account item five, same as number two, transportation back to Hartford. Item six, miscellaneous. You'll have to admit I deserve something for what I went through. $150. Expense account total, $365.35. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Ben Wright, Bill Conrad, Dick Ryan, Jeanette Nolan, Dan O'Herlihy, and Tyler McVeigh. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bob Lamond inviting you to join us next week at this time when we will again bring you Edmund O'Brien as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Every Saturday night, Americans from coast to coast play Sing It Again. Do you? Well, if you don't, you don't know the fun and excitement you're missing. Not to mention radio's largest cash award if you can name the phantom voice. There's music on Sing It Again. Music with Alan Dale, Bob Howard, Judy Lynn, the Riddlers, Ray Block, and his orchestra. There are contestants from all over America, phoned by Dan Seymour. And there are prizes. Prizes galore, plus that special jackpot prize we mentioned earlier. So stay at home. Play at home on Saturday nights when over many of these same CBS stations, Dan Seymour says it's Sing It Again. Stay tuned now for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. If you met a stranger on the street who offered to give you $4 for three, you'd be pretty skeptical. But when Uncle Sam makes the same offer, you can take him up on it and be sure you're getting a square deal. By investing your money in United States savings bonds, you'll get that extra dollar profit when the bonds mature. Buy your bonds through the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond-a-month plan where you bank. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 
1001 Stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Al Begney, Johnny. Grand East. Oh, yes, Al. What or whom did you ensure that you shouldn't have? What? Or are you inviting me to dinner? I get three kinds of phone calls. Social, business, and people who want money. Creditors or otherwise. And I don't owe you any money. I didn't mean to insult you. You haven't. What is it? You read about the cake burglary in New York, haven't you? And the papers say those jewels aren't insured. Ah, well, they are, by us. 125000 You want a job? Well, you don't need me. The police are working on it, aren't they? Yeah, but in the wrong direction. We think we've got a line on this stuff, Johnny, and we need somebody to go check on it. Are you free? Unemployed, yes, but not free. Where do we start? Edmund O'Brien, in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Grand East All Risk Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Adam Keg matter. Expense account item one, $34, transportation as instructed from Hartford to New York and the Parkview Manor, an apartment hotel on 59th. Your man begged me, met me in the lobby. Well, I tell you, I met her. Uh, you know what happened? Oh, no. you know, she was one of those dancers. I mean, dancing celebrities. Oh. Hello, Johnny. Well, that was a fast trip. Oh, yeah. Fine, we'll go right up. I think the kegs are waiting for us. Uh, elevator's right over there. Say, uh... This keg, he has some money, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's the angel type, and so far he's married at least one girl from the line from every show he's ever backed. Is that bad? I wouldn't know, Johnny. You'll find Adam Keg to be a very dislikable character, so hold your temper if you can. Huh? Do you have any special reason for keeping it secret that you insured this missing jewelry? Well, it's more or less of a courtesy to Keg. He's lost some money this season, and, well, sometimes these thefts cause some speculation, you know. He'd just as well not be talked about that way. Going up, gentlemen? Uh, 6.42. This is it. Hello. Mrs. Keg? Currently, yes. Oh, I'm Mr. Begney from the insurance company. This is Mr. Dollar, our investigator. Oh. How do you do? Well, come on in. Is your husband at home? Yeah, he's here. He's taking a nap. Sit down. I'll wake him up. Wake me up? Uh, these men want to talk to you, Eddie. If you'll take that corn off the phonograph, maybe we can talk. Sure. I, I didn't know what bothered you. Uh, which one of you is Begney? I am. 
This is Mr. Dollar, the investigator we hired. Are you one of these New York private detectives? I've heard the majority of you are willing to play both ends against the middle. I've heard that a lot of clients like it that way. What do you mean by that? Anything you want. Gentlemen, please. Mr. Keg, I understand there was a message of some kind this morning. Who is this man? I'm from Hartford. There's not as much chance in a small city for two-end dealing, so I haven't had much practice. But I'm willing. Mr. Keg, Dollar here has worked for my company a number of times. We wouldn't have hired him if we didn't trust him. Now, uh, please, will you tell us about this message? Go get the papers, Sylvia. It's right next to you. Right there, in the magazine rack. I didn't put it there. Here it is. Is anybody going to explain it? Let me out of here, if if you don't feel like it. I don't. I'm bored with the whole thing. The paper was left in front of our door the same as usual this morning. But on the front page, this was stamped, page three, part two. I noticed it and told Addie to look at it. The bellboys deliver your paper? Yes, uh, Danny does. And here it is, see? The Sandy Histamine ad. In Histon. You see, the I and the N have been crossed out. And these other words, so it reads, Histon stops that sign of your cold cash. Stamped in. Only Histon makes this startling offer. Insist on Histon. Look at it. You can figure it. The rest of the message was drawn from the advertising copy the same way. The price of the product was changed from 98 cents to read $98,000, the price for the return of the jewels. The home of the firm, Montclair, New Jersey, was circled and rubber stamped beneath that were the words, phone booth, Maple and 7th, 10.30 p.m. tomorrow. What do you make of a dollar? Well, I'd like to talk to the bellboy. What'd you say his name was? Danny. Danny Stevens. Uh, I'll, I'll phone down and have him come up. That ad is the work of a crank. Anybody should be able to see that. You're right. You have to be a crank to be a thief. You think there's something to it? Well, demanding ransom for the stuff makes sense. If he gets it, it'll be a lot easier than trying to fence hot jewelry. Mm. He's using the name Histon and evidently wants to open negotiations tomorrow night in Montclair. You going to take him up on it, Al? Johnny, the company told me to do anything I wanted to. No questions asked. If you follow this up, you'll be making a fool of yourself. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going to my room. Cooperative fellow, isn't he? He'll do. Do you want me to go to Montclair? Yeah. Yeah, I realize it's unusual, Johnny, but if there's a chance of saving the company the difference between ninety-eight and $125,000, I think I'd have take that chance. Uh, maybe this uh, should be... Danny wondered if you could talk to him downstairs. He's the only one on duty. Sure, that'll be all right. Before we go, I wonder if you'd give me the details of the theft. It was a story like those you read in the papers every other week or so. She and her husband were out for the evening. Her jewelry was in a locked box in a locked drawer. When they came home, the dresser had been opened. Who might have known where the jewels were? She didn't know, possibly the maid. When we got to the manager's office, we checked on the maid. She lived in Montclair, New Jersey, and she had just resigned. Then Danny Stevens, the bellboy, was shown in. You wanted to talk to me? Yeah, have, uh... Have you ever been inside the keg apartment? Sure I have. I guess I've been in every room in the building. How many times have you been there? Oh, I don't know. How would I know anything like that? How well did you know her? Oh, Mrs. Keg? Good enough to talk to. Had a cigarette with her once. Yeah, you don't think I had anything to do with this, do you? You put the paper in front of the door every morning? Yeah, that's right. How about this morning? Well, when I got up there, the uh, paper was there already. I didn't think much about it, because I figured maybe the night man had gone up there and left it. Addie, 
Now, as soon as Mr. K called about what was in the paper, I asked, and Jim hadn't been up there at all. That's what he said, anyway. Where do you live? In Queens. Look, mister, the cops asked me all this stuff. I don't know anything about it. You're wasting your time. You'll be around here, won't you? Yeah, sure I will. I live here. I plan to make a career out of hotel work. I won't leave. Al Begney brought me up to date on police progress. The case was three days old, and all they had were some worthless, smudged fingerprints and the assumption that the same implement had been used to pry open the apartment door, the dresser, and the jewel box. They were canvassing the known fences so far without success. Expense account item two, $25, dinner, drinks, etc., after checking into the hotel Langley. And expense account item three, $40 for car rental to the next evening and the 15-mile trip to Montclair. The Maple and 7th rubber-stamped into the contrived message was an intersection that boasted three stores close to the night and on the fourth corner, a bowling alley. The only visible phone booth was on the sidewalk near the entrance to the alleys. As I stepped inside, I noticed a pair of headlights snap on a few yards up the street. And a half minute later, the car pulled out and double parked near me. You calling out or waiting? Waiting for a call. Why? Who from? Somebody named Hispan. I'm your man. Come on. I came alone. You could cause me some trouble, but don't do it. You won't get the stuff back that way. That's a deal. I came to listen to you, not play hero. Yeah. Come on. Get in. Why'd he send you? Keg? He didn't send me. I'm an insurance investigator. I thought those things weren't insured. They are. That makes sense, I guess. Guys like Keg don't leave themselves open to get hurt. Always somebody else. You know him? I know what he is. I'll pull him this alley. Yeah. We can talk here for a few minutes. Now, uh, who's going to pay the money? The insurance company, if anybody does. How much do you expect me to sell? I don't know what you mean. I mean, what kind of a bargain do we make? Does a company in Keg tell the cops to drop it? I won't promise you that. You can't start something like this and have it all stop when you gouge $98,000 out of somebody. I'm not thinking so much about myself. Oh, you mean you pulled this heist for somebody else? No, I didn't pull it for anybody. It's a little too late to worry about whoever sold you information, isn't it? How close are they? Don't be stupid. Wouldn't take a junior G-man long to figure it. It had to be somebody who knew what Keg's wife had, where she kept it, and probably when they were going to be away from the apartment. Who do they think did that? I didn't ask them. I came here to find out how you want to handle this thing. I don't like it. I'll have to think about it. 98,000. How long do you have to think? Uh, where can I get you by phone? What's your name? Name's Dollar. I'm registered at the Hotel Langley in New York. Okay. I'll call you. I'll try and make it sometime tomorrow. That's all? Yeah. How about driving me back to 7th and Maple? I left my car there. <laughs> Take you there so you can follow me? Get out, you'll be better off with a little walk. He kept his lights off while he drove out of the alley, so there wasn't a chance to get the license number. But I had memorized his features and a V-shaped scar on his right cheek. It was 10.45 when I got back to my car. Not too late, I hoped, to call on Miss Millicent Weaver, the maid who had recently resigned her job at the Keggs Hotel. I've been through all this with the police. 
I don't think it's right somebody can be pushed around and nagged like this. Do the police know you quit your job? It's none of their business. They'll be back to you when they find out. They'll want to know why you did. It was entirely personal with me. It didn't have anything to do with the trouble, except that when the police started to insult me, I realized how public my life was in a hotel of that type. Oh, that's not very good. It sounds like you quit to get away from their questions. That isn't so. I won't tell you why, but what well, has to do with my own personal code of ethics and, and how hard it was with that pack of linen closet wolves that hunted in that hotel. Do I make myself understood? Yeah, I think so. But you did know where Mrs. Keg kept her jewels. That's a crime. It's her fault. So busy impressing me with them. What do you know about a blonde man with a scar on his cheek like an upside-down V? Who? I didn't get his name. Curly blonde hair, nose that might have been broken. He's about my size. I don't remember anybody like that. Who is he? He lives here in Montclair. He says he has the jewelry. What does that have to do with me? Why'd you come here? I just wanted to meet you, Millie. If you run into a blonde man with a scar, let me know. I'm at the Langley. Ah, good evening, sir. Key, please, 412. Yes, sir, right there. Oh, here's a message for you, Mr. Dollar. Lady said she'd be waiting for you in uh, booth one in the bar. It's a lady. There must be some mistake. Yes, sir. I, I know what you mean, but with this one, well, who cares? <clears throat> well. What do you know about it? Mm, I just got back from Montclair. What is it? Danny, the bellboy. They told me at our hotel. Danny's been killed. When? Tonight sometime. I'm not sure. But I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Let's get out of here. Can we go to your room? I've got to talk about it. We'll return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. But first, Hopalong Cassidy will come riding up to the door at CBS, the star's address, again later this evening, with another fascinating Western adventure. Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is heard every Saturday evening on most of these same CBS stations, where you'll also find Gene Autry, Vaughn Monroe, Lucille Ball, the Gangbusters stories, and Sing It Again. Now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Mrs. Keg was silent during the elevator trip up to my floor and until we were in my room and I had closed the door. Then she settled on the edge of the bed and started. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was an act or not. <laughs> Come on, stop it. How much did you have to drink while you were waiting for me? I'm, I'm not drunk. Then let's use a little control, shall we? This sounds like a crying jab. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, I'm not. Look, if you're trying to make me feel sorry for you, drop it. Frightened dames don't touch me anymore until I find out what they're afraid of. Oh, shut up. I couldn't help it. I've been holding it in since I heard. Holding what in? I'm afraid of what my husband is going to make out of it. Out of Danny's death? Yeah. How was he killed? He was run down by a car. Going home from a movie. They haven't found the driver. You don't think it was an accident? I don't know. Danny was the first one questioned by the police after the robbery. I know they thought he knew more than he was telling. 
Do you think he was mixed up in it? Well, if he was... Yeah? If he was, my husband is going to accuse me of being in it with him. Stealing your own jewels? How does that work? Ah, they weren't mine. The privilege of wearing them was. That's the way it's been with all his wives. You lose the privilege when you're divorced. You were due for a divorce? Yeah. He got some ideas about Danny and me. That's funny, so did I. Well, there was nothing to it. He was a nice guy. Used to drop up once in a while. That isn't what he told me. What did he tell you? Maybe it isn't important. Danny did know where you kept your jewelry, didn't he? Yes. The dresser and which drawer? Yeah, I'm afraid he knew quite a lot about me. I didn't think he'd use it to do anything like that to me. How much are you holding back? Nothing. I came to you, didn't I? What about that hooked-up offer from Montclair? You know more about that than I do. You went over there. Yeah, I met a guy who decided to renege. He could have been a decoy, or he could have been Danny's killer. Oh, I don't know anything about it. I hoped you'd believe me. That's why I came to you. I was going to ask why. What do you expect me to do? Nothing, I guess. I wanted to tell somebody that I knew what was going to happen, and you were handy. Adam is going to rant and curse and accuse me of every sin that exists. That's his marital privilege, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's late now. You better run along. The police played it cagey. If they did suspect that Danny Stevens' death was linked with the burglary, there was no mention of it in the papers the next morning. So after breakfast, I settled back to await developments. At ten, my phone rang. Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar? Yeah? One moment, please. I have a call from Hartford. Go ahead, please. Hello, Dollar. Al Becky. Yeah. Adam Cake just phoned me. Oh? He's willing to drop the whole thing. What? Says he won't press a claim against the company. Oh, now, wait a minute, Al. Let's not plunge. What brought this about? I told you. He doesn't want any publicity. He says it's worth it to him to hush it up. You can't do it, Al. What do you mean I can't do it? Well, it's up to you, naturally, but I'll tell you what it's liable to look like. Like... Like your company pulled its investigator off the case rather than uncover a murder. I didn't hear anything about a murder. Well, there's one rattling around in this mess. That bellboy we talked to. Huh? Well, I see what you mean. That, that wouldn't look too good, would it? I wouldn't think so. Yeah, well, you're right. You want me to call Cake back? No, I'll go right over. I'd like to toss it to him myself. I'll let you know how I come out. <laughs> What do you want? I want to see your husband. You can't. He's not here. Well, I'll wait for him then. Listen to me. He's here, but please don't tell him about last night. Please, you mustn't. We'll see. Come on. Announce me. All right. Come on. Sit down. I'll tell him. Thanks. Addie, Mr. Dollar is here to see you. Who? The investigator. I thought I told that confounded company to leave me alone. The devil do you want? I'd like to know why all of a sudden you wanted this investigation dropped. I've been doing things the way I want to for quite a few years. I want it dropped. What's it to you or to your company? I assume you're being paid. They won't lose any money. Are you afraid of what might come to the surface if the police investigate Danny Stevens' killing? I don't want any more publicity on this thing. What would I be afraid of? I take it the publicity you don't want is the guess that... You might have faked this job to collect some money. You don't have the only slanderous mind in town. 
The busybodies enjoy playing with ideas like that, and I don't want it. Because it might occur to one of us that Danny knew the setup and was put out of the way. You idiot. That's an idea that would keep the nightclubs buzzing for months. You're accusing me of killing him. What I'd like are those same words in front of a witness. I'd sue you out of the country. I'm telling you that this thing can't be dropped because you don't like the taste of it anymore. All right, idiot. Go ahead. If you insist on returning my jewelry to me or paying, paying my claim in full, help yourself. What have you done so far? I met a man in Montclair. That was clever, since he said he'd meet you. What did you learn from him? The only thing I can be sure of is that he's my size, has blonde hair and a scar on his right cheek like an inverted V. I'd know him if I saw him again. Then go find him. Sylvia? Yes, Adam? Show this manhunter to the door. He's on the trail. Tally-ho! I wish you'd drop it. Why can't you? What's the matter with you? Nothing. I just... Everything. I wish I'd never seen him or his filthy jewels. Why don't you open up? Oh, I don't know anything about it. Now, please go. Please, before he comes out again. Sure. There's nothing like expensive gifts to keep a woman happy, is there? So there I was in the middle of 59th Street with a basket full of suspects. An owner who didn't want to collect on his insurance or recover his stolen property. And an insurance company that wanted to drop the investigation but couldn't. I turned to the only possibly interested parties I could think of. The police. That's very interesting. Why didn't you tell us before you went to Montclair? Well, I'll be honest with you, because I know it won't go beyond this office. We were willing to be a little unethical to save the company some money, and when we did, we were going to make a full report to you. Uh-huh. And now you want us to help you. I didn't ask that. I, I wanted to know what had happened on the hit-and-run death. Well, the driver's being indicted on a manslaughter charge. She gave herself up. She? She gave herself up who? Her name is Lindquist. She was driving home after a prolonged cocktail party. There's no connection with the keg thing? Not according to all her witnesses. She's visiting here from Florida. Got in day before yesterday. Huh. There goes that angle. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. But uh, accidents do happen. <laughs> That's when I called the company and agreed that we should give up the case. I was in my hotel room packing when a knock on the door changed my mind again. I can't stand it any longer. I've got to talk to you. You said that before. Come on. Well, what now? That man you met in Montclair, I know him. What makes you think so? His blonde, his scar on his cheek. I used to go with him before I married Adam. Who is he? Stanley Griffin. He's a musician. What did he tell you? Do you know where I can find him? Yeah, on 8th Street near the village... I forgot the number, but it's in the phone book. All right. He's been in your apartment? Too many times. I've had to call the hotel detective to keep him away. Ah. Griffin. Stanley A. Okay. I don't know why, but I'll go check it. you get here? Because you're stupid. Close the door and shut that thing off. 
I uh, suppose this is it, as we jewel thieves say. Is the stuff here? Yeah. How'd you get here? Do you mind telling me? I don't see that it makes any difference. Keg's wife gave me your name. Sylvia? You lie. I have no reason to lie. I don't believe you. Why should she do that? I thought you could tell me. All right, I'll tell you. I'll make a statement, but not unless I can make it in front of Adam Keg. I'll leave that up to you. Where's the stuff? In the closet. I'll get it. I moved to the closet door with him. I expected him to make a break, but he didn't. Instead, he opened a battered suitcase, fished out a paper sack that held over $100,000 worth of jewels, and we left. Well, what's this? Your stolen property. This is Stanley Griffin. He has a statement to make to you. Where's Sylvia? Mrs. Keg is in her room. I think she'd better come out. Why? She was going to share the profit. Dan! I think she should share the failure. Dan, you're lying. Why are you doing this? Tell him you're lying. Why should I tell him that? Because you are. I had nothing to do with oh, it. Oh, stop it. Well, Sylvia. He's lying. Adam, don't listen to him. He's lying. Am I? You tell him, Sylvia. You make him believe that I'm lying. You can't do this! Come on. Hey, hey, quit it. Come on. Let go of me! He's lying! He's lying! He's lying! Calm down. You're a rotten loser, Sylvia. You always have been. You're a beautiful winner, but you're a rotten loser. Adam! Where are you going? I'm going to call the police. Adam! Sit down. You you said you'd do it, didn't you? You said you'd drag me out of here. I thought you were just high, but you meant it. He's lying, Mr. Dollar. There's no way to prove it, but he's lying. You're right. Everything you've done to date says you're right. You're crazy. I'm not going to take the whole rap. Not for her. She told me where she kept the jewelry. She told me where they were going and how late they'd be out. Where did they go? Uh, they went to a lot of places. Yeah, you'll have to do better than that. She'll crack your story if you don't. She told me. I saw them go. But where, Stan? Where could she go so that she could leave all her jewels home for you to pick them up? That must have been part of your plan. Where? Kill him! Get away from me, Dollar. You've got it back. Leave me alone. Stay here. Don't try it. Get away from me! Get up. Why not? Keep him away from me. Yeah. Keep me away while you can, Sylvia. But don't ever forget it. I'll be back. To help the company complete its report on the keg matter, I enclose a portion of Stanley Griffin's statement to the police that same afternoon. I don't know why I did it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I wanted to get her away from him. I loved her. When she wouldn't listen to me and leave him, she had me thrown out that night. I made up my mind to steal him and make it look like she helped me. So I did. Fixed up that newspaper I had. I was drunk and crazy. And I wanted to see her in prison. With me. Expense account item four, miscellaneous, $55. Item five, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total... $230.40. Remarks? The whole matter was no more than a cloud of smoke. The bellboy's death was inconvenient but accidental. And the burglary was a rare type committed not for profit but for revenge by a jilted man. The company could have saved the above total, but please remit. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Stacey Harris, Lamont Johnson, Jeanette Nolan, Jack Moyles, High Everback, Paula Victor, and Raymond Burr. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Dovalle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when we will again bring you Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. How's for trying to sing it again tonight? $5,000 in cold, hard cash and $10,000 in fine prizes are waiting for the CBS listener who can solve the new Phantom Voice mystery. Now stay tuned for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you laugh with Lucille Ball and my favorite husband on Saturday nights, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.